It is a real privilege for me to have this opportunity to come and share this semester in chapel. And I have to admit, there is some fear and trepidation that I come to this chapel with. So because I have that fear and I have that trepidation, I have to begin by asking a series of questions. First of all, I've got to ask if anybody in the auditorium this morning has brought rocks with you, stones with you. Because I'm afraid I'm going to say something that would cause you to hurl those stones at me. Anybody brought any eggs or rotten tomatoes into chapel? I'm hoping and praying that nobody has brought anything like that. Because I am afraid, fear and trepidation here, that you might want to hurl them at me with what I'm about to, to say. So... Some of you have had me as a professor before in class, and I've been known to do this. So before I actually begin this sermon, I'm going to ask you to make a promise to me. And in making that promise to me, I want you to say it out loud. So if you would, if you will rise, if you're, if you're uh, right-handed, if you will raise your right hand. If you're left-handed, you'll raise your left hand. But please raise your hand. And repeat after me. Now, I can see the back, even though uh, the light is in my eyes, not everybody is raised. I cannot proceed forward until everybody makes this promise to me. I'm seeing some hands. All right, right hand, left hand, if you're left hand, please repeat after me. I promise that I will not throw a stone, a tomato, or an egg. At Chris Bounds for what he is about to say. All right, now you have given me your word, you have given me your promise. I'm gonna hold you to it. This morning, our scripture reading comes from a very familiar passage of scripture. I think actually it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Old Testament. It comes from Genesis chapter 2 reading verses 18 through 22. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs... And then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam in the garden. 
it is before the fall. It is before sin has entered into the picture. And we see that Adam is in a perfect relationship with God. He walks and talks with God in a way that you and I will never ever experience in this life. He loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He has a perfect relationship with God. And not only does he have a perfect relationship with God, but he has a perfect relationship with the created order. This again is before sin and corruption has entered into the created order. The created order does exactly as God intended and responds perfectly to the exercise of stewardship by Adam. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is that there is still something that is missing from Adam's life. He is alone in the garden. Now, this is what I am afraid of saying. Because what I'm about to say to you sounds almost blasphemous. And it is something that goes contrary to generally what we are taught in evangelical Christian circles. What Genesis chapter 2 helps us to see is that God is not enough. God is not enough for Adam. Perfect relationship with God perfect relationship with the created order, and yet there is still something that is missing from his life. And God recognizes and he sees this. It is not good for man to be alone. So he causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. He takes from Adam's side a rib. From that rib, he fashions Eve. He fashions a woman and brings that woman to Adam. And now Adam is complete. He is complete in his love of God. And he is complete in the love that he has with another human being. Now I teach theology here at Indiana Wesleyan. And in our Protestant tradition, the way that we traditionally teach doctrine... It's through a series of questions and answers that are called catechisms. Perhaps the most famous question, doctrinal theological question in Protestantism, is question number one from the Westminster Catechism. The question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of humanity? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, speaking as a theologian, not a bad answer. But I'm not sure that it's a very helpful answer. Because actually the Westminster Catechism never goes on and talks about what is it to glorify God? And what is it to enjoy Him forever? I actually like that same question in another catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. The answer that is given into the, in the Heidelberg Catechism, what is the chief purpose of humanity? It is to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's not just the love of God alone. 
And it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2. We are created to have a relationship with God and to love God with our entire being. But that is not all. We are created to love one another. A number of years ago, my wife Tamara and I went to see a Tom Hanks movie. The name of the movie was Castaway. And in Castaway, Tom Hanks plays a Federal Express efficiency expert by the name of Chuck Nolan. Now, Chuck Nolan's plane goes down in a violent storm somewhere over the South Pacific. And he is the only one who survives the plane crash. And he finds himself stranded on a deserted island. He is all alone. And for the next 45 to 50 minutes, what we do is we follow Chuck Nolan as he fights for survival. As he tries to find adequate water, adequate food, adequate shelter. But as we follow Chuck Nolan, what we begin to realize... The greatest threat to his life, the greatest threat to his existence, isn't his physical needs going unmet. The greatest threat to his life and well-being is loneliness. And after he's been on the island for three years, he realizes that if he does not get off the island, he will go mad and will not survive because of his loneliness. So it's his loneliness that propel, propels him to build a raft, risk his life, get off the island, in order that he might once again have human relationships. Now, after I saw this movie, I have to admit, I spent some time reflecting about it, thinking about it. Now, Chuck Nolan, Tom Hanks' character, is not a Christian. No time in the movie and on the island you ever see him talking to God. But it forced me to think about what might happen if I was in a similar situation. If I had my Bible, if I had my relationship with God, and I was stranded on a deserted island, would I fare any better? If I have read Genesis chapter 2, and if I've understood the creation account, and if I've understood the purpose for which we have been created, then I would have to say that I would not fare much better. I can have a perfect relationship with God. And I can love God with my entire being. But if I'm not giving myself and receiving in a relationship of love with another human being, with other human beings, I am incomplete. Because in the end, while God is most important, we need more than God. In our lives. It was Augustine in the opening chapter of his great 
spiritual autobiography, The Confessions, who says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And Augustine is right. But I will tell you that our hearts are also restless until they rest in other human relationships. It is wrongly attributed to Pascal, a mathematician, a philosopher, a theologian. It is wrongly attributed to Pascal this statement that in each of our lives there is a God-shaped vacuum that nothing in this created order can fill but only God. Even though Pascal did not say that, Pascal is right. But what Genesis helps us to see is that there's also in our lives a vacuum that not even God himself can fill. It can only be filled in our relationships with other human beings. Genesis helps us to understand. Jesus' teaching on the greatest commandment helps us to understand that our purpose in life, our end in life, is the love of God with our entire being. But it's not just the love of God alone. It is, in fact, the love of neighbor as well. And we are not fulfilled, we are not complete without both of these in our lives. When I was a, between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I did my undergraduate work at an institution called Asbury College. It's now called Asbury University. Ah, here's some people who are familiar with Asbury. But when I was at Asbury, between my freshman and my sophomore years in college, I was actually hired by a local church to start a youth group. Now, you need to know that this local church probably averaged about 50 to 60 people on Sunday morning, and there wasn't anybody in that church that was under the age of 60. And so they hire me to start a youth group. Now, there's no children, and there is no youth in this church. And I have to tell you, the, the great, successful minister, evangelist, disciple, the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit upon my life, I have to tell you, I poured my heart, I poured my life, I poured my prayers into that youth group, and at the end of the summer, I had a whopping four youth in that church. Yeah, four. That whole summer, I spent my time trying to talk to youth and trying to involve youth in this youth group that I was trying to, to start. And as a result of that, at that time, it was not uncommon, and I did this often, I, I would go door to door, knocking on doors, trying to find youth. And in the middle of the summer, towards the middle of the summer, I went to a trailer park where I knew that there were some teenagers who lived in the trailer park, and I went from trailer to trailer knocking on the door. And I came to this one trailer, and when the door was opened, I was staring in the face of a teenager by the name of Paul Whitehead. And I have to tell you that, that Paul Whitehead is one of the most pitiful individuals I have ever met in my life, just to look at him physically. 
It looked like that Paul had not eaten a meal in months. He was a beanpole. He was as skinny as they come. And I could tell by the smell of him that it had been probably weeks since he had had a shower. His hair was completely matted. It was a greasy mess. His face was covered in pimples. The acne was so bad, it was obvious that his face had already been permanently scarred. And Paul didn't say a word to me. Here I am at the front door. And you know, hi, I'm Chris Bounds. I'm at this local United Methodist Church. We're starting youth care. But I went into my spill. You know, when you knock door to door, you have this spill that you go into. And I went into it with him. He never said a word to me. He just motioned me into his trailer. And I went into the front room of the trailer. And he was camped out in front of his TV playing an Atari video game. He never spoke to me. It was like talking to a brick wall. I can't tell you how incredibly awkward my conversation was or my attempted conversation with him was. And I simply invited him to come and be a part of the youth group I was trying to start. Maybe at that time we had one other youth member. I thanked him and I left never expecting to see Paul again. But that Sunday evening, the first youth group meeting that we had after I had visited him, Paul was there. And for the rest of the summer, anytime we had a meeting, anytime the doors of the church were open, Paul was there. We come to the end of the summer. Now, I come from an evangelical background. I believe in giving your life to Jesus Christ. I believe in experiencing regeneration and new birth. And at this time, I have four kids who are coming to the youth group. And I am, in this last meeting that I have with them, I am trying my very best to get them to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, for them to actually take the step and become a Christian. And that evening, three of them gave their lives to Christ, and I was very thankful for that. But Paul held back. Paul did not. And so after the the evening was over with, I went and had one last conversation with Paul. And I was saying to Paul, Paul, more, Paul, what you need more than anything else in your life is you need Jesus Christ. And you need to surrender your life to him. He can change and transform you. I will never forget what Paul said to me in response. What he said to me still haunts me to this day. Paul said, Chris, more than I need Jesus Christ, 
I need a human friend. I have to tell you, everything in my mind was telling me, Paul, you are wrong. You need Jesus more than anything else. But I have to tell you that in the very depths of my heart, in the very depths of my soul, I was saying to myself, Paul, you are right. What you need is a human friend. God is not enough. We are created to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we are created for more than that relationship with God. We are created to love our neighbor, to give ourselves in love to other human beings, and to have other human beings reciprocate that love to us. Just have two points of application here. Two closing comments. People need the Lord. But people also need friendships they need other human beings who love them and that they can love now I actually don't need to tell you that you actually know that but I can't emphasize to you enough how important and central to being human it is to have deep and meaningful relationships with other human beings now why would I say that here at a Christian college because I will say this, this is what happens all too often at Christian colleges. It's the same thing that happens at churches as well. Is that when we're thrown into a situation in which we are forced to make new friends, we begin to develop relationships with new friends and they form and they build. And then what happens is, is that they begin to solidify and close. So that there's some deep and meaningful relationships that is taking place in that closed circle of friends. But it becomes closed. And it is no longer to people from the outside. I want to tell you right now, many of you have deep and meaningful relationships with friends here on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan University. But I will tell you, there are students who are here who are on the outside looking in. And they are starving. They are floundering. Because they don't have those human relationships. Can I challenge you this morning? I know it's the end of the summer. I mean, end of the semester. 
I know it's the end of the semester. I know you're getting ready to go into the summer. But if I could challenge you, I want to say to you, open up your circle of friendship to others. Do not allow your relationships to be closed. People who are on the outside looking in need you and need your relationships. But I will tell you also, those who are on the outside, you need them as well. To be in these relationships of love where each are loving the neighbor. So my challenge to you is this. Will you open up your circle of friendship and look out for those who are on the outside looking in? They need you and you need them. But the second application point, my second challenge this morning. There are some of you who are in here. And it could be you are such an introvert. And as a result, you are always sort of on the outside looking in. And you are more comfortable being by yourself than you are being in a relationship with others. It could be that the reason why you're more comfortable being outside, sort of looking in, and being all by yourself happens to do with you have opened yourself to friendships, you have opened yourself to human relationships, and you have been deeply marred and scarred. And you carry with you wounds that come from having opened yourself in love to other human relationships. Can I say a word to you? Please hear me. You will never be full. You will never be complete. You will never be fulfilled. Until you come to a place where you truly love neighbor. And neighbor has an opportunity to truly love you. No matter how hard you pray. No matter how great your relationship is with God. There will always be something missing in your life. If you do not open yourself up to it. First time I ever met anybody who was in hell and didn't know it. Have you ever met people who are in hell and they don't even know it? The first person I ever met who I recognized was in hell and they didn't even recognize it was a man who was in his mid-40s and his name was Matt. And Matt was officially a member of the church that I was pastoring when I was in Searcy, Arkansas. And I would go and I would visit Matt from time to time. Matt is in his mid-40s. He is on disability. So he's not working. And all Matt does, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, is he watches TV. And when I say watch TV, I am talking he watches 15 to 16 hours of TV every day. And as I'm talking to Matt and I'm recognizing and I'm seeing this, I will tell you that Matt would tell you that he is happy and that he's fulfilled and he's content with his life. All he wants to do is watch TV. He doesn't care about what's taking place outside of his home. He doesn't care about human relationships. 
All he wants is to live in isolation with his TV. And I realized he can't see it, but I can. He is in hell. He is living a miserable life. And he doesn't even recognize it. My sisters and brothers, my last word to you is just simply, if you're one of those individuals who is holding back and you're living in isolation, even if you think you are all right living like that, let me tell you that you were created for something more than that. You were created to not only love God, but you were created to love neighbor. So my last words to you, don't allow your circles to become so hardened that they're not open to others. Open them up to other people. They need you, you need them. And for those of you who live in complete isolation for whatever reason, let me encourage you to break from that pattern in your life and begin to once again seek out deep and meaningful human relationships in your life. Genesis chapter 2 helps us to see that God is not enough. We are made for more than just God. We are made for a relationship with each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace.